We're sad to report in this, our obituary section of the program, the passing of one of the voices you hear on this composition, that of Denny Doherty of the Mamas and the Papas. The group consisted of Denny, singer Cass Elliott, and John Phillips and Michelle Gilliam. They crossed boundaries and genres with their vibrant, full-blooded harmonies, and I think you can definitely hear the magic of the synthesis of those four voices as follows. documentary that aired about 15 years ago, Denny referred to that uh, magical quality that was achieved when those voices blended perfectly. They had a name for it. I think, I forget what it was. Just call it Gene. But they would refer to it as, well, yeah, yeah, Gene's here. Gene's in the room when they were all on. Noted a rock critic, the Mamas and Papas would have been nothing without John Phillips's songs and arrangement. But this is not to deny Denny Doherty's remarkable contribution. He helped to create those extraordinary harmonies. He was a fantastic singer, and you can tell that he loved singing. Said the Independent, the good-natured Doherty, who was born in Halifax, Nova Scotia in 1940, played in a local rock and roll band, The Hepsters, in his teens. In 1959, with friend Zal Yanofsky, they became the Halifax Three and secured a recording contract in New York. Their records, however, were unsuccessful. Doherty and Yanofsky would become bartenders on the campus of Georgetown University. With a view to infusing rock music with the energy of the Beatles, they formed the Mugwumps with Cass Elliott on vocals. In late 1964, John Phillips was in a folk group, The Journeyman, along with his wife, Michelle Gilliam. He added Doherty to, some, to open some shows for comedian Bill Cosby. In January 65, they took a holiday in the Virgin Islands and developed a new group, with a contemporary sound. Their benefactor there, Hugh Duffy, was credited in Phillips' self-mocking hit Creek Alley in 1967. Although Cass Elliott visited them in the Virgin Islands, John Phillips didn't think her voice possessed enough range for the group. And now I'm, I'm, I'm quoting from The Independent on the following. Fortuitously, a lead pipe fell on her head, and after she recovered, her singing voice improved. We have our doubts about the last, but... Uh, According to the article, but according to the article, John Phillips took a job delivering a limousine to Los Angeles after returning to the States. The others climbed on in and rehearsed harmonies on the way across the country. In L.A., their friend Barry McGuire introduced them to Lou Adler, the owner of his record label Dunhill, and they were given a contract. McGuire had had a smash with Eve of Destruction, and he had to make an album. Lou Adler wanted him to try California Dreamin'. It didn't sound too good, but Lou Adler liked the track, and the background vocals were great. Lou said, suppose we cut it with Denny on lead. And that's what happened. The recording with Denny as the lead vocalist became a smash hit on both sides of the Atlantic. The Mamas and the Papas became rich. Denny Doherty bought a mansion in Laurel Canyon and in true hippie fashion allowed any of his friends to stay there. The group was partying so much they gave less than 50 concerts during their three years together. John Phillips, however, organized the Monterey Pop Festival in 1967, and the Mamas and Papas appeared alongside Otis Redding, Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, and The Who. Phillips's anthem for the festival, San Francisco, parentheses, be sure to wear some flowers in your hair, was passed to his friend Scott McKenzie. It became a transatlantic number one hit, 
and more importantly, a hippie anthem. Despite the peace and love vibes of the time, the mamas and other papa were angry that John Phillips had given the song away. In the year 2000, National Public Radio presented a list of the 100 most important American musical works of the 20th century. We think on general principles you should look that up on the web and have a listen, but in particular regarding today's show, the song Dream a Little Dream of Me made the list. Birds singing in the sycamore tree Dream a little dream of me It was an obscure song written in 1931, but the Mamas and the Papas turned it into a great hit in 1968. The Mamas and the Papas broke up in 1968 because various members wanted to go solo. Denny had a solo hit on the adult contemporary chart in 1974 with a rendition of the standard You'll Never Know. He went on to host a popular variety show in Canada. Denny Doherty died on January 19th of this year in the Toronto suburb of Mississauga after a brief illness. We are most sorry to note his passing, but are grateful for his musical legacy. Sweet dreams till sunbeams find you. Sweet dreams that leave all worries behind you. But in your dreams, whatever they be, dream a little dream of me. And in other music news, we have this item from the Orange County Register, repeated in the Sacramento Bee earlier this month. About two years ago, University of California Irvine professor Fan Gang Zeng started noticing something alarming about his students, unexplained hearing loss. In each of his biomedical engineering classes, Zeng said he found several students with a type of damaged hearing you normally wouldn't see until a person is 50 or 60 years old. It's been two years since that phenomenon began, and that's about how long it's been since the MP3 player became a campus staple for college students nationwide. Coincidence? Zeng doesn't think so. Hearing experts think the problems are probably caused by the use of earbuds that sit inside the ear, coupled with the increasing length of listening time available compared with previous portable music players. Most MP3 players come with stock earbuds, which, unlike headphones that sit outside the ear, fit snugly in the ear canal and do not allow any sound to escape. Because the sound is digital, listeners can crank it up louder without the distortion allowed by previous technologies. Note of the article, by the time you feel pain in your ears from loud noises, your hearing has been permanently damaged. Quote, the kind of hearing loss we're talking about is not going to show up when they're teenagers, unquote, said Brian Fleegor, director of diagnostic audiology at Children's Hospital Boston. Fleegor compared the damage to the cumulative effect of too many sunburns on the skin. Dr. Fleegor has just finished a study of headphones used with MP3 players and advises users not to turn the volume up higher than 80% and to limit their listening time to 90 minutes. We call it the 80 for 90 guideline, he said. UCI's Zeng said he would like to see an automatic shutoff device on the players that turn them off at a certain time based on volume. We're not sure if that's the solution, but for God's sake, be careful, dear listener. And speaking of deafness, we have the following, written by Jonathan Weissman in the Washington Post. 
The Democrats were joyful when they seized control of both houses of Congress in November, but now the new Congress is facing its first major dilemma. An overwhelming majority of Democratic senators and House members oppose President Bush's plan to send 21,500 additional troops to Iraq. And so do, the polls indicate, most Americans. But party leaders are reluctant to use the one weapon at their disposal to stop the deployment, cutting off the funding necessary to support the extra troops. Instead, to the dismay of the party's anti-war base, both the House and Senate are expected to pass non-binding resolutions opposing the troop, quote, surge, unquote, so they can't be accused of undercutting the war. In effect, they're choosing to stand by and let Bush take full responsibility for whatever happens next. Republican strategist Tony Fabrizio noted, Well, the first rule of politics is never interrupt your enemy when he's making a mistake. And maybe that is the first rule of politics, but it seems increasingly clear to Americans that we are making a huge mistake in Iraq. Shouldn't the Democrats take the bull by the horns here? Yes, you'll gain politically by standing back and observing the smoking crater left in the ground uh, by Bush's mismanagement of the war in the Middle East. But really, wouldn't it be better to avoid that catastrophe? 3,000 Americans have died in that conflict, which has now lasted longer than World War II. Credible estimates put Iraqi losses at 600,000. We think the Democrats need to step up to the plate on this. Noted the Bites column in the Sacramento News and Review. If you ask Bites, Representative Doris Matsui, Democrat Sacramento, has it coming. That's in giving her a grade of D for duplicitous. Matsui claims she opposes the war in Iraq, but refuses to publicly commit to cutting off additional funding. For the past several weeks, members of the Sacramento Coalition to End the War have camped out in Matsui's local office at the federal courthouse in an attempt to force the congressman to reconcile her opposing positions one way or the other. How about this surprising item related to the war in Iraq? Apparently Sweden is taking in more Iraqi refugees than any other country in Europe. Last year, 8,900 Iraqis applied for asylum in Sweden, nearly as many as the entire rest of the EU. There are now more than 80,000 Iraqis in Sweden, making them the largest immigrant group after Finns. Most Iraqi refugees settled closer to home in the Middle East. The UN Refugee Agency estimates that as many as 1 million displaced Iraqis currently live in Syria. An estimated 700,000 are in Jordan, 80,000 in Egypt, and 40,000 in Lebanon. And dovetailing off our remarks here about Doris Matsui, John Doolittle, etc., we have the following from the Washington Post. Now that they're in the minority, droves of Republican House members are breaking party discipline and voting for legislation sponsored by Democrats. The Democrats' minimum wage increase drew 82 Republican votes. Their Homeland Security bill, 68. Said Representative Joanne Emerson, Republican of Missouri, you're freer to vote your conscience. What a concept. A, le a legislator voting for what he or she thinks is best. It's a wacky idea. We'll have to see how that pans out. We note here, looking at the sprawling pile in front of us, that we have just too many items to catch up on with a few minutes left on today's show. Therefore, on next week's program, we are going to have a no major guest. We're just going to try and proceed with a little help from our friends. This means I hope to be joined by some of my uh, fellow KDVS DJs and hosts, as well as uh, revisit some of our previous guests on the program. In particular, I'm interested in speaking with Dr. Andrew Nangalama,
Dr. Nangalama is a physician from Uganda, and in the wake of seeing the last King of Scotland a few days back, I'd like to get uh, some of his um, some of his remarkable story before you. The good doctor had to flee the political chaos of Uganda and escape uh, Africa by way of Kenya. As a young man, uh, Idi Amin came to his father's house, his father being a local uh, uh, village political head, and I'm sure he's going to have some interesting observations about what happened uh, in the 1970s under the, the incredible regime of Idi Amin Dada. We're still sitting on top of a New Year's Day article in the Sacramento Bee titled Flood Risk DVD, now part of pitch for Natomas Homes, which quoted a Mike Pettis and his wife Marguerite, who uh, noted that when they purchased a home in the North Natomas area and asked, is it a flood zone? People selling the home said no. And that was the extent of their conversation. We suggest that if the rains uh, do return uh, later this year or in years to come, uh, that you not go shopping in the Natomas area with high water because if there's a breach of the levee, you're going to be about 20 feet underwater. We will return to that topic. But I just want to close today noting an article by Chris Ann Becker in the Sacramento News and Review dated November 30th titled None Dare Call It Sprawl about the Natomas area. To quote from it briefly, North Natomas was supposed to be a walkable, bikeable, smart growth community, but it isn't. Housing tracks are so far away from schools, stores, and jobs that everybody's completely dependent on their cars. Though smart growth policies were incorporated into a community plan that was improved in 1994, recommendations the city found were not the same as regulations. Grand visions of unique, inviting spaces integrated into neighborhoods and clustered near light rail stations never materialized, nor did the light rail stations. I don't know how many urban planners we have here at UCD or people involved in that listening to this program, but I, I do want to say that in this correspondent's opinion, a simple drive around North Natomas will provide an excellent example of all the things you probably shouldn't do when it comes to urban sprawl. I was pretty horrified in seeing what I saw while driving around there, but we must save that for next week because we're out of time. We'd like to thank P.J. O'Rourke for joining us from a radio studio somewhere in New York City. We have been trying to get him on the show for a long time and glad to have finally achieved that. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. I'm Douglas Everett. You've been listening to Radio Parallax. Todd will, uh, will join us momentarily, and we will see you next week at the same time.